0: Thank you, everybody, for coming. I really appreciate it. Welcome to my father, who's here. Thank you, Chaim. And Ari, of course, thank you for taking care of the sushi. I want to thank David, who uh, rushed back from upstate New York Chaim came in. to make sure he's in time for the year. Very much appreciated. Thank you, everybody, who's listening to the podcast. Mr. Shem, uh, after tonight's year, so we're going to take a little break like we do every year, uh, we'll resume Mr. Shem in September. This Shabbos, of course, is Shabbos Chazain. Tisha B'Av Nidcha. and before we talk about inyana Yana and Egarita, so let's just mention a few halachas that are important. First of all, as uh, since it's Shabbos, even though it's also Tisha Bav, so it's a regular Shabbos. There's no isurim that we're naik. There are some halachas that have to do with Avelis sinna, but as far as uh, regular Avelis that we're naik in the nine days, nothing. So in Meila, you could eat, drink, even by the Sudam of sekas, which is Shal Shudas, if you want to eat meat there's not a problem. You can have that. You could have wine. And uh, there's no there's no problem there. Shkiah is 8.05, so by that time you have to stop eating. Um, and also, by the way, the Pais even though it's Shabbos, you could have, let's say, caffeine tablets or, or things like that. You want to have Kali things that, you know, tablets that, that help you uh, fast. You're allowed to take those also uh, up until Shkiah. Once Shkiah starts, so then... Uh, there's certain halachas that apply, of course we don't sit on the floor, we don't change our clothing or our shoes, but one thing that's nagea at that time is that uh, you no longer wash your hands in a regular way, you wash it only till the knuckles. Of course, no eating or drinking, once Shkia hits, bench. Yeah, you can bench yeah. till Matzi shabbos. yeah, yeah, uh, with it's say Once it's say so whatever's man yonayeg, so at that point you say, Barach you change, you take off your shoes, uh, some people change the weekday clothing, and then, before going to shul or after, you make the bracha of So we don't we don't say havdala We just make the bracha of me'orim There's myiriv. There's eicha. In the morning, of course, we don't put on tefillin. After which is at about one o'clock, so we get up from the floor and mincha time. That's when we put on our tefillin. Right, tefillin. And that's tishabov because it's a nitche, though. So even though normally on a regular tishabov, so much like also there's certain halachas of Avelis that are noyek. For example, laundry and uh, and bathing. But being that it's a nitche, so those halachas don't apply this year. So much like tishabov already, you can take a shower, a hot shower. You can do laundry. Wine. Uh, oh, so that that's the only thing you shouldn't do is, is drink wine and eat meat because even be though a- even though there's no minig of Avelis, Okay, so Chaim says, anyway, it's not relevant. You can't eat meat after fasting. Yeah, but whatever it is, you know, some people, you know, they, they, they really miss the meat. That's it. Okay, so Chaim says, anyway, it's not a problem. Being that, it's, that, that we didn't make is Matzisha, but we make Avdala, and Avdala the is the bracha of Baray and the bracha of Hamavdil. So by havdala you could drink wine. It's Sunday.
1: This is Sunday, Sunday night. Sunday Sunday. Yeah, Sunday night. Yes. Ma'ase
0: Shabbos only boymoer esh, right? Ma'ase Shabbos only boymoer esh, and boy that's is. it. Yeah, yeah. And no, so no, no beer no, salmon this week at all. No, no yeah. gufin. Gof- you know, no, no, gof- no. Ma'ase no. Shabbos no gufin, and but Sunday night you make a gufin and a Mavdil. Yeah, yeah. What? No, 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 no. You don't have to. No, no reason to use chamamadini. You could use you could use regular wine for from. Yeah. Um... But um, now, someone who has to break their fast, so uh, you know, the minute is that uh, even though if it's the middle of the day, you don't make havdala. If it's if it's a man, in other words, if somebody has to break their fast for health reasons, you know, they, they feel that they're that 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 they're in danger of whatever, of, of getting dehydrated already, and you have to break your fast. So you should make havdala. But normally, uh, definitely, kids, you don't you don't have to make havdala for them. They could just eat regular. Okay, so that's what's naga in terms of the Allahus of tishav. Whereas this is Shabbos parshas devarim, and also Shabbos chazain. This is the parsha that's always read before Tisha B'Av. We always start Chumash devarim at this time. And Chumash devarim is interesting, as we pointed out in the past. It's not like the other chomashim which were told over uh, directly by the Rabbinah, Shalom to Mashar Abbein. Chumash devarim actually is Mashar Abbein speaking in his own words. The starts off. We're holding chaydish Shvat of the last uh, the year in Maisha Rabbeinu's life. So it's a month before he dies, a month and a few days before he dies, and he's giving like his final will, will and testament to Kal Yisrael, and that's what Qomish Devarim is. Maisha Rabbeinu is speaking, and he retells the history of Kal Yisrael, and he tells over some mitzvahs, some which we knew about already, some which we didn't know, and this Qomish this is what it is, Mishnah Torah, it's Maisha Rabbeinu talking to Kal Yisrael throughout this last period in his life, and we look at what he's saying over here. So, it's not just a regular uh, history, but it's actually a guidebook. Meshur Rabbeinu is highlighting to Klal Yisrael their chashivas and how much the Rebbeinah loves them and how much we're unique and how we're special. So for example, we'll be reading in Parashas and Amritz HaShem, says, Mi k'roivim love Kashem Hashem There's no other nation that has the Rebbeinah Sholeim so close to them. Anytime we call out He's there. You know, we're special. We're unique. We're the ones who got the Torah. Nobody else got it. And the following parsha, parsha Sekev, the pasuk says, (laughs) "My Shemayim is telling you so. You know you how great you are." Your ancestors were the ones that the Rebbeinah Shalom loved, the Abish HaKadoshim. And as a result, he chose you, he chose us from all the other nations. So really what Maish Rabbeinu was telling Kala Yisrael as his last will and testament is, you've got to realize, you know, as you know, you're entering Eretz Yisrael, and a new, a new period in the in history is starting, really this is the first period that Kala Yisrael is going to be independent you know, because they were in Mitzrayim, they were slaves, and then they came out, but they were living in the Midbar. It wasn't a regular structured lifestyle. That was the first time you're going to be living as an independent nation in your own land. So Moshe Rabbeinu was telling them, guys: first of all, you've got to realize who you are. You've got to realize what you are, what you represent. You're the Rabbeinu Shalom's chosen nation. You're the ones that he loves. You're the ones that he's close to. And you're the ones that he is looking forward, is looking to, to carrying out his mission in the world, and that's a responsibility on the one hand, but on the other hand also, it's something that gives us all tremendous chizuk till this very day, because it reminds us of who we are, and the history of Klai Yisrael is really tied in to this theme of Chumash Devorim. that, you know, we're not just another nation that came and that, that happens to be around. No, no, no. he picked on us, he picked us, he chose us, and he wants us to be around forever and ever uh, till Achus because we're the ones that are going to carry out his mission, and we're doing it till this very day. And this is something that the Goyim never ever were able to uh, make peace with. They were never able to reconcile with this fact that he chose us and he didn't choose them. Chazal tell us, Har Sinai, Laminikash gave us the tyrant, and he chose us. So that was it. Everybody else is ter- was terribly jealous, and. They haven't forgiven us for it. And as a result, we've been going through the Golas and the Tsaris that the Ummah have been uh, you know have been fighting us through that for thousands of years up until this very day. And if we look at the kinnis of Tishabov, so we see of course we mourn the Khorbanabhai's by Srishana, there's kinnis of Bai Rishon, there's for or Shani, but also there were other kinnas that were added for different tsuras that happened throughout the Gaulis. There's kinas that were written in during the Middle Ages, after the Crusades. So the Rishonim they wrote kinas about the wonderful Kahilas in Germany and France that were destroyed and wiped out. Uh, there were kinas that were written after there was a Gezeira to burn the Talmud in France. About right, written by the Baal HaTaisvis. So the history that we mourn on Tisha B'Av is the history that continues till this very day. And of course, in this generation, so there were G'dayle Yisrael who added kinas about the khurban, the Khorban that happened it lasts, in the last century, World War II and the Holocaust. Now, it's less than 80 years since the Holocaust. There's still survivors, <laughs> Baruch Hashem, that are alive. And it's very important to realize that the Holocaust is, in a certain sense, uh Kala Yisrael hasn't really gotten over it. In other words, it's still very much alive and having an effect till this very day. My friend, uh, Dr. Chaim Nuov, he's a well-known psychologist, so he, he writes in a column in the Ted Month, somebody asked him, they have a panel there of, of therapists, people, you know, writing questions every week, having to do with mental health. Someone raised an interesting question, you know, she says, or, or he says, it seems like 30, 40, or even 20 years ago, we didn't have uh, so many therapists out there, you know, uh, there weren't so many people becoming mental health professionals, because it didn't seem like there was a need for it. And yet today, literally, this field has exploded. There's so many. There's so many therapists. And because, obviously, there's a demand for it in the community. What's going on? Like, why is it that in the past, there didn't seem to be so many anxiety issues? There didn't seem to be so much trauma? And today we have it. So he says something very interesting. You know, in addition to the fact, you know, the modern, the modern, modern life, the pace of modern life and, and everything that comes with it definitely causes extra anxiety. He says also there's one more thing, very interesting, that... The trauma of the Holocaust actually is, uh, in a certain sense, reverberating now more than it has in past years. Why? Because the first few decades after the Holocaust, it wasn't something that was spoken about a lot. People dealt with it quietly. You know, the, 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 the survivors, the first generation, those that had gone through the camps, they really preferred not to speak about it because they were busy with rebuilding. It was only in, in, in recent years that people realized, you know, we really have to record this and, and we need we need them to speak up, that people started speaking up. And also the trauma the way I understand it, the trauma that they suffered of course that's a trauma that lasted for life. Any you ask any Holocaust survivor, he'll tell you. That that this is something that, that, that's never gonna go away. Like I saw in a documentary, there was one person who says he's a survivor, he says, If anybody tells you that he went through the Holocaust and he came out normal, he's lying. What it did to people was really, it, in a certain sense, it, 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 killed, it killed them inside. Atkedeh of Zulbishteyn writes that a person who survived the Holocaust, but he went through it, you can say on him, Hashem after he's nifter, even if he's nifter in a natural way, 50, 60, 70 years later, because he had gone through the trauma and, and that killed something inside them. So in a certain way, that trauma was transferred down to the next generation and to the following generation, which is our generation as well. How does it work? I don't want to get into it. I don't really understand it so much, but it's a fact. It's a fact, and and, and this is from someone who is in the field, and he sees this each and every day. So the Holocaust is something that is still very much alive, and, and really, it's one of the greatest mysteries of all time. Here you have the most cultured nation, Germany, by far. The leaders in science, the leaders in culture, the leaders in art and music and whatnot, turning into a beast, was and even though Klaw saw, as we said, had gone through, you know, throughout the Gauls, but this was something that never happened before. In other words, this was not just the regular anti-Semitism, I hate you because you're different, and, you know, I want you to convert, and if you don't convert, I'm going to kill you. No, no, this was a, methodolical, a methodolical, methodical system in which Germany decided... They're going to uproot every single Jew from the world. <laughs> every single Jew, man, woman, or child, anybody who is of He's Jewish Amo- descent. Amolek. Jewish descent, very good. Every single, every single Jew, we are going to destroy them. Now, how do we understand this? So, like my father said, Amalek, there's a Gemara in Megillah, we learned the Chaim in the Sheer. Quoting Apostle him. David Amalek says, Al rosha. he says to Abunishalem, please don't let the Russia." Like, carry out his uh, desire. Don't take off his muzzle. This is referring to He's given Rashus. If he's given permission, if you take off his muzzle, of this nation, Germania, he destroys the world. The Goyen, the Vilna Goyin, who lived almost 300 years ago, is Magia, not Germania with the men, Germania with the nun. who lived... Uh, maybe 100 years later, he says, that is the Ashkenaz of today. So this is more than 100 years before the Holocaust. There were already Yedoyle Yisrael who pinpointed that Amalek is actually Germany. Famous story, it's 1898. <laughs> yeah, right, right. 1898, the Kaiser of Germany, Wilhelm II, is coming to Heretz Yisrael. And of course, the entire community of New Jerusalem, the firm community, is coming out to greet him and to make the bracha of Shechalak Mikvayda the Basar V'adam. There was one person who didn't go out, who was that, or as a B'chaim Zonoffel, the, uh, the, would be the future of a Yerushalayim. And he said, I have a Kabbalah from my Rebbe, the Ksav Seifer, that Germany is Amalek. And an Amalek, even if it's a king, and even if he's the most powerful ruler in the world, or one of the most powerful, you don't make the bracha of Shechalik Mikveideh. Now, nobody understood what he was saying, but 30 years later, when Hitler came to power, this became <coughs> understood. Now, if we look at it in such a way, so now we could start to understand. Uh, there's a well known writer, Chanukh Teller, an author. Heidach Teller, he writes, he, he came up with a book, a, a, a great book called Heroic Children. It's about children who survived the Holocaust. Some are still alive today and their stories, are amazing stories of how they survived. There's a fellow here, he's, he has a shul here in Brooklyn. He lived for three, maybe four years, literally under a tree, in the mud with his, with his family. And that's how they survived. There was a guyish farmer that took them in. He wouldn't take them into his house. He let them live on his farm, under a tree. And that's how they survived, with the worms, and the snails and whatever was there. Fascinating story. In the ground. In the ground, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he says something very interesting in the introduction to this book, Heroic Children, which I wasn't aware of this. If you speak to survivors, when they speak about the Holocaust, they don't say the Nazis. They say the Germans. In other words, it's not that there was a group of people in Germany who happened to be bad people, and the rest were fine. No, 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 no. It's the Germans. What the Nazis did was They represented Germany. They were were the ones, right, they were the ones who carried out their mission. But really, this was something that Germany as a whole, not everybody, but certainly the vast majority, they were happy with it, they went along with it, and they wanted it. Winston Churchill famously said, The Hun, the Hun is a, a nickname for a German, he's either at your throat or at your feet. There's something about Germans. There's something about Germans. You cannot deny it, it's a fact. They're different. They're different. They're a very, very strange nation. Famous, uh, famous uh, writer, author, columnist, Caroline Glick. She, uh, she has a podcast, and she's speaking to someone who was an expert on Germany. He was a reporter there for the Jerusalem Post for many years. And they're speaking about Germany. Now, you think, you know, Germany today, it's post-Nazi. It's a different Germany, but it's not at all. First of all, the Germans, they hate America. Believe it or not. They hate America, then they've, they've always hated America. And if anybody tells you that they're no longer anti-Semitic, it's a pure lie. Because they're the ones who are pushing for BDS the most. They're the ones, if there's a UN resolution, they're the ones behind it. They're the ones who initiate it. They're the ones who push at the EU. They're the most dominant force there. They're the ones constantly pushing for um, for uh, making declarations against Israel of denouncing Israel they're at the forefront of all of this in Israel itself there's NGOs those are non-government organizations so to speak uh, non-for-profit organizations that their whole goal is to undermine the military to undermine the government and they do it through a subterfuge you know famous ways divide and conquer you know they they they, they go around they put on political pressure they make demonstrations and whatnot. and who is this funded by? Germany. So really, Germany hasn't changed. The methods have changed, but the hatred that's inside of them is still there. It's still there. What's that? Right? That's right. The story of Lufthansa by the Yurtsef of Shaila, right? They singled out every single, uh, single from Jew. They're the ones who are identifiable. You're not going on. Uh, so really, nothing has changed. The only thing that's changed is the method. Today it's not uh, you know, it's not in fashion to say, I hate Jews. So, you know, you, 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 you kind of wrap it in a different it's way. I you say, hate say you Israel. hate Israel, right. Huh? Very interesting. There's, yeah, yeah. Now, there is, there is, obviously, there is a Jewish community in Germany. Um, but they're not doing well. And, in fact, besides the fact that they, they, have, they need a lot of protection, you know, the schools and the schools, they have constant protection from the military, and that's how they're able to stay safe. But uh, there's, there's a lot of incidents of anti-Semitism. Not all of it is reported, but someone took a video. He's an Israeli. He has a restaurant in Berlin where he serves traditional Sephardic food. And he, there was an altercation. A fellow comes over to him. Supposedly he was drunk. A middle-aged fellow, a German fellow. Now, this guy caught everything on film, and it's available. You can watch it. Fascinating. The guy comes over to him, and he says to him in German, excuse me, you know, you guys, for 2,000 years... You've been bothering us. You know, like, you, you, you haven't left us alone for 2,000 years. Why don't you just get out of here? We don't want you here. We don't want you here. Leave. Go. So the guy says to him, where do you want me to go? Just go to Palestine. That's where you belong. We don't want you here. And if you stay here, you're going to end up in the gas chambers. Now, this is on video. A German who's drunk. He happens to he's a professional. He's like a regular person. He gets drunk. He tells the truth how he feels about a Jew. That you don't believe in that. Now you think about it, how in the world does a guy know about the 2,000 years of Golos of Qal Yisrael? There's something very, very deep mm. going on mm-hmm. here. Like my father said, these are not regular Gayim. This is Amalek. This is Amalek. Now, what? Trouble, hung, the, the Famous story, yes. He said, Purim. Yeah. What is that? Julius Streicher, one of the. Um, people that were hung by Nuremberg, one of the yeah. head of the Nazis. Yeah. So uh, when he, before he was hung, yeah. he said Purimfest in 1947? Yeah. Uh, something yeah. like that, yeah. the year that it happened, yeah. Right, so there you go. Now, how, how does a guy know about this, such a thing? How does he know about Purim? Amalek, like, this is something that, you know, it's in his genes. It's in his genes, so... He us. Right, so now if we identified Amalek here, so we can start to understand how exactly this happened. Because we know... We read about we read about this parsha's mishalach. A mali comes to fight against kol. So, on the Rebbeinu Shalolim says, "Ki yod al kes kam ucham ba mali midor door." The Rebbeinu Shalolim cannot exist. In other words, he can't. and Hashem shalom and a kiseh shalom, actually machiz arish shalom. In other words, a is the etzem, the source of tuma in the world. The source of tuma cannot tolerate the source of kedusha. So, if we identify the a mali is. We now can understand why Amalek wants to wipe out Klai Yisrael in a way that was unprecedented. Because he realizes that this is the source of Kedusha and the two cannot coexist. He needs to wipe out Kedusha so that he can exist. And he realized that, and Hitler realized that, and that's what he tried to do. He was successful to a certain degree, unfortunately, Baruch Hashem. He wasn't totally successful. But this is how we can understand what happened in the Holocaust. And of course, it's very upsetting and it's, it's heartbreaking when we think about the six million who went and the ways that they went and the methods that they killed them. But at the same time, if we look in such a view of this is Amalek versus Kal Yisrael, then we can take a certain sense of Nechama. And let me explain. There's a, fel- a famous book called To Slay a Dragon, written by a, uh, a survivor named Pearl Banish. She was a, t- a student of, of Sarashnir in <coughs> Krakow. And she survived the war together with a group of her friends from the Beis Seminary. And she tells stories in her book, heroic stories, of how Claudia saw the Yidin, despite what they were going through, they were able to not only survive, but they were able to actually stand up to do the right thing. She tells a story, tragic story. They're being deported from a ghetto near Krakow, a place called Tarno. Now, the commander in Krakow, the Nazi commander, the German commander, his name was Amon Goth. If you ever watched Schindler's List, so he's the commander there. Amon Goth was a sadist like all, all German commanders were. And he says, only women, uh, adult women are allowed on the train. There was a separate train for adult men. Anybody who's old, you're going to go to the side. Anybody who's young, in other words, children, you've got to go to the side for a selection. And everybody knew that means one thing, they're going to be shot. So many of the mothers who had little kids, they hit their kids. They put them in a knapsack on their back. And he would go through the knapsacks as they were going into the train would find a kid take him out, shoot him in the, shoot him in the head, and kill him on the spot. They hurry onto a train, pearl, pearl banish with their friends, about a hundred ladies and one of the ladies has a, an eleven year old child now she 's hiding him in her she 's trying to hide him in her coat a little kid eleven year old yeah eleven year old eleven year old boy oh and they 're there they 're hoping that maybe he didn 't notice all of a sudden. The door opens and it's Amon Goth himself, the commander, and he says, I saw a boy, I saw a child go in here. Give me the child. Nobody moves. He says, Give me the child, and if I have to kill and shoot every single person in this car, I'm gonna do it. Now the mother realizes what's gonna happen if she doesn't give in, give him in. So she starts to push herself towards the door. And the ladies hold her back. As if to say, You're not gonna go by yourself. If you're going, yeah. we're all going. So what does the sadist do? He starts, he says, okay, with the, uh, with the bayonets, the, the sticks that they would hit people with, they would go, okay, everybody go to the side here, move this way. Everybody move to this way. And then they move to this way. With the point being that as they scatter around and they move, keep on moving, he's eventually going to find that mother. This way, that way. Eventually they found the mother, they found the child. They took them both out, and she says, you know, we heard two shots coming out, which was, uh, of course, the, them, them dying. But she says, I felt proud to be part of this wretched, tortured, great people. We look over here, we see the difference between Tumah and Kedusha. Here you have tuma; he's willing to kill 100 people because he wants to kill that one child. And on the other hand, you have people who are willing, willing to give up their lives So this lady won't have to be the only one who's going to die. And this is the difference between the Tuma and Kedusha. One more story. She says there were two brothers. They were in a concentration camp in Birkenau. Two brothers were put into the salt mines, which was like terrible. They had to work there underneath the ground in the salt without any water to drink. And their mind was going crazy. They decided to escape. Unfortunately, they were caught. After torturing them for a few days, the inmates wake up and they see there's gallows. And being hung on those who or about to be hung, are a few people, among them those two brothers. And she says, before one of the brothers is hung, he screams out, you can kill us, you can murder us, but you will not destroy the Jewish nation. They will survive. And that really is the lesson and the, the, uh, the nitzchias of Klayosol, and the greatness of Klayosol. You know, living in the worst of the worst situation, uh, a situation which we cannot comprehend, we cannot understand, the heroism and the kedusha of Klal Yisrael came out, and she describes when she was eventually she made her she was, she was brought to Auschwitz. One and she says the Nazis used to utilize the Yemen Tavim to torture the Jews even more. So whether it's Rosh Hashanah, they would do a selection. Whether it's Yom Kippur, it's the first night of Sukkot, and an inmate says to her like in the middle of the night, "Come, I want to show you something." Uh, 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 a Jewish inmate, a man. She says, "Follow me." He says, "Follow me." He takes her somewhere behind the barracks. There's like some piles. There's some some hay. And she sees, lo and behold, structured out of the hay, they were able to put together a real kosher sukkah. And he told her, the entire night, men have been coming in here, sitting down, and making the bracha of leshev basukah. So this is us, this is them, and this is the difference between the forces of Kedusha and the forces of, of, of Tumah. And we have to realize that when we sit down on Tisha B'av and we cry and we mourn, there's a certain sense of nechama understanding and realizing that uh, this is what happened to us, but we're so much greater than them. We're on such a higher, different level than they are. And that in and of itself, in the Khorban, we can find a hum on that. And of course, we know. First of all, as Maminim, we know that, as we spoke about last week, a person's soul never dies. Now even a guy, a German, has a soul also. By Miller says, every single day, Hitler is being born again and then burned down to a crisp every single day till today. And we have to realize the same thing is happening to every single criminal from that period. They're all being burnt to a crisp every single day. So they're getting their just punishment in the Ayala But here in this world, where we don't see it, we still were able to get a certain sense of Nakama because Kalyusol is thriving. And you ask any survivor, what's the biggest Nakama that you have on the Germans, my children. My grandchildren. A nekama that's what they say. This is my nakama That you walk into a shul. You walk into a yeshiva. You just go out into the street. You see Kali's so thriving and surviving, whether it's here or other countries. I saw a lady in a lady came, was a local survivor we came with all family. Four, 400 children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren, a big family. Right. Full of survival. right? So yeah. Yeah. And that's what we have to realize. And, and that should give us a certain measure of comfort in the korban. Realizing, first of all, we know that we're much greater than them. We know why this happens to us, why they can't tolerate us. And we also know that the Abister hasn't forgotten, and he won't forget, and Kali Yisrael is going to endure and survive. Of course, the day will come when that entire nation of Amalek, no doubt, is going to be wiped out. I just want to conclude with a beautiful story of a barrel of wine, a famous author and historian, and Rosh Hashiva and Rav, he speaks about how was he inspired to do so much, and you know he's today close to the age of 90, and he 's still going strong, and he says it was 1946. He was living in Chicago. He was a child of 12 years old, and his father wakes him up one morning. we're going to the airport to meet the chief rabbi of at the time it was Palestine, Rabbi Herzog, the grandfather of the current president of Israel. very hush of Ravmak Chacham. They go to the airport, the entire town. it wasn't that big. The firm community wasn 't so big. And then afterwards, the Rav comes to the Yeshiva to speak to the children. Oh, you know, about 200 children total. And he says, you know, I just came back from a meeting in Rome with the Pope. And I have, gave him a list of 10,000 children who were given over to either uh, monasteries or to other Christian families during the Holocaust. So the parents weren't able to, uh, the parents were killed, but they survived. Now it's time to give them back. You know, these are Jewish children. And the Pope said to me, you know what he said to him? He said, now, once, according to Christian belief, once a child is baptized, that's it. He has to stay a Christian. And with that, says Rabbi Wine, of Herzog, breaks down into tears. Breaks down into bitter tears. And he said, Rabbi Wine describes, he says, you know, he felt like this was 2,000 years of, of, of tears that, that are flowing here. He never saw such a thing, a grown-up man crying in such a way. But then he picked up his head, and he says, I wasn't able to save them, but you, you're here. You're alive, you're well, you're being raised as Jews. Remember that you are the ones who have to carry on that legacy. You're the ones who have to make sure that Klai Yisrael endures, and if we're not able to get back those children, at least we have you, and you're the future of Klai Yisrael. And as he describes, they, each one went around to greet them. And he says, no, did you hear what I said? Did you hear what I said? Please keep it in mind, you're the ones, you're the continuation, you're the future. Those words have been ringing in his mouth, in his, in his head, for the past 75 or so years. And that's what keeps on pushing him to accomplish more. And he says the entire class, this class that he had, very, very much of people who came out of the class, and he's confident that it had to do with what they heard from the And this, this is something that I should give us chizah. We mentioned that Chumash Devarim is Maish Rabbeinu talking to Klal Yisrael. And it ends, what are the final words that Maish Rabbeinu says to Klal Yisrael before... In Vizai Sabra. The final words. Ashrecha Yisrael, Micha Maicha He says, Call Yisrael, Who is like you? You're so fortunate. Aman Shah Bashem. Khadishbar who is the one who's gonna save you. Magin Isra, Basha Kherev Gavaseha, Vikakshwa, Vekalah, your enemies are gonna try to destroy you, destroy you. In the end, you're the ones who are going to survive. You're the ones who are going to trample them. And that's the lesson we take away from Khamish Devore. The lesson that we take away from Tishab, as long and as bitter as the goal is. Klai Yisrael is going to always emerge. Klai Yisrael is always going to emerge stronger and better. And that is Shem Taqa. We should be Zaycha very soon to the B.S. Koyel Tzedek and the coming of Mashiach Siddiqainu, Mehei yeah. of Yameinu Amen.